Now we're going to chapter 8. This is Brother Julius again. We're going through the book of Hebrews. We finished chapter 7 in the last broadcast. Now we're going to chapter 8. I'll more or less read through it. Get your Bible and just follow along. I will get some Bible verses and I will refer to some other Bible verses to make some explanation. Now, Hebrews chapter 8. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, summarizing what he has said so far. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, is set on, on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, remember, when God was talking to Moses in the on the in the wilderness, Moses wrote it down that the Lord told him that make sure you do all this tabernacle according to the pattern that was revealed to you, which means God revealed a pattern to him. Either in a vision, he saw a vision that this is what I'm trying to describe to you. We are going to make a replica of it on that. And in those days, they were in the wilderness, they were making it through using cloth, like a tent. And they make a good burial of it, of course. They say bring gold and so on and so forth. And they did it. He said, but make it according to the replica. So there was a tabernacle that was shown to Moses in a vision that he saw. And he was God was describing how to the length, the measurement, and so on. So that, that is what he was to do. And you know, if, if it is our generation that God is to do that, he's going to be using some technology that is better. But in their generation, they just use a technology that they have. They only have claws and and uh, and uh, camel skin, you know that. You could get camel skin, you could get a uh, goat skin, and all type of things. So God was using their technology and he make a replica, a sum of, some of things, a tabernacle for them and say, okay, do it this way. You see, whatever technology you have, God will use this for now. Now we in our own generation, if it is to be this generation, God will be using some some tiles, some to make a tent. If you go to make a beautiful tent, you make it. You know, they want a, they are making a makeshift. And they have to set it up and then they can carry it and dismantle it, taking away from there. In our generation, they have something like that you can do, but it's not going to be making of a good skin. Also, God will be using a technology that we already have. So God was the only showing a pattern, but he was using technology they have in their generation for them to do it. So he was saying, a minister, uh, chapter 8 verse 2 say, Christ, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. The tabernacle never was not made of a goose skin or something, but it was the one that Moses was to build because that's the only technology they have there was being made of goose. Like when God made a cloth for for Adam and Eve after the sin, what did God use? The Bible says God killed one of those animals and get goose skin of some animals and use that for them. It's more like showing to them that well, that's how far they can get right now because God knows that they're going to be fabric material that we will get in, in, in the generation right now also. God knows about those things. Maybe the better things perhaps that in the future. But God wants to just help them with what they can do themselves. Because he showed them, I gave you a ghost skin so that you know how to, if you want to change that one, you can get any other man and kill it and get another skin and do what I just did for you. And you'll be able to survive for now. That's survive for now. If they, if they have developed some better technology, God will have used that for them. But that is the beginning of their covering themselves with some cloth. And the only way they could, God is not going to be doing over and over and over and over again for them. He just showed them the first one. This is what you have so far. Now they were using fig leaves. Fig leaves that look like so ugly. 
So God make them skin and say, well, it's a beginning of a technology for you guys. And they will say, oh, if we can get a animal can get his skin like that. And they will be doing that in that generation until whether human beings get better and better until our generation we are making fabrics like this that is made of some cotton and so on and so forth and colorful. So they say, but God was going to deal with human beings according to how far we have gone. Not according to how far everyone has, has gone, how far human beings have gone. So that's what we are seeing right now. Let's go on to verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 8. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, saying that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the, ex unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. You see what I'm talking about? God showed to him a pattern. So he must have seen a vision. Verse 6 But now, as he, as Christ, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And remember, better covenant, better promises is what the Lord Jesus Christ is establishing. Is, 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 is representing as, as mediator of ourselves. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And you see that in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31. Where God said, He will make a new covenant, which means the Old covenant was no use, no good. Verse 9 said, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord. Verse 10 said, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. And write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You see that also in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 7. Verse 30, in that he said a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which decayed and waxed all is ready to vanish away. So what the book of Hebrews chapter 8 is trying to tell us is to try to compare the fact that the old covenant of Moses was being done away with and a new covenant is being established in the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And the Lord, that was where the, we always use this Bible verse to when we are preaching to people about salvation, that Christ is going to write his law into our heart so that we became a new Christian in Christ. He changed hearts. And that is what he is saying in the covenant God is making with Israel. Israel is anyone that has set him right now, just the Hebrews. Every believer is saying that's why he said, through the Messiah, the whole world will be blessed. Anyone that will accept him is going to be writing his law into our hearts. 
And that law of God is the law of love, loving God and loving one another. He said, because Christ said this is a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. So that new commandment that God said, I will write my law into the heart. You don't need to say any, tell anybody to know the law because everybody will know me, right? Because the Holy Ghost will be in everyone that is born again. The Holy Spirit will be in everyone that is born again. What is born again? That is being a new Christian, a new heart being given to you, a changed heart. That is what God is as orchestrated in this new covenant that we started in the New Testament of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this this Bible is presenting. That God has started as giving this new covenant and this new law. The old is done away with people are still trying to go back under the law of Moses. It's not saying that we are not to keep the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is not just the, not the law. The Ten Commandments is fulfilled when you are born again. Is you love one another and you love God. That's a change that it makes you to be obeying the Ten Commandments automatically. And if you fall into offense, Christ is there to, to, to as a propitiation for our sins, is our high priest. But the law is much more than just the Ten Commandments. The law has to do with all those rituals and all those things they have to do to go to the temple, to burn incense, to offer incense, and all sorts of other things, to bring a goat, to kill. All of those are done away with Christ has offered himself once and for all for mankind. And now he's making intercession for us as the high priest after the other makes it before God. And all we have to do is just offer sacrifice of praise. That's our sacrifice of praise. Not good, not the blood of goats. The blood of Jesus Christ is already done deal. That is already accepted by God for human race. The blood of Jesus Christ. And he ever make it for us. And all we need to do now is to offer praises with our lips and with our lifestyle. You praise God with your lifestyle when you live for him. When you are obedient to his word. That is praising him. So you glorify God when you live right, when you obey him. That is praising him. And then you use your mouth to talk about him, to praise him. And so to praise him. So that is all he's asking from you and me. To praise the Lord always. And to offer sacrifice of praise. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the high priest. So when you praise the Lord Jesus Christ, you are praising God. When you praise the Father God in heaven, through our Lord Jesus Christ, you are praising him. You are offering sacrifices. Sweet servant. That he will look down and see you. If your life pleases him, that makes it much, much better that your praises are accepted. But if you have some more faith, that's why Christ said, when you bring your sacrifices before the altar and you remember that you have ought against your brother, you see what is what the Lord Jesus gave to us? You remember you have ought or your brother has ought against you. What did the Lord Jesus say? He says, leave your, all your sacrifice at the altar. Go first. Go reconcile with your brother. And then come back and offer your sacrifice. Which means, when you even come to praise the Almighty God and you remember you have a longer here with a brother or with a sister or somebody that you have not forgiven as that as to your fault, he says, Stop all the praise, go reconcile first. Reconcile first. That is the love. Love. You can say that it is in our heart to love God and love one another. So when you are obeying that law of love, then your, your offering is accepted before God. Your praise is accepted before God. God. Then the blessing becoming now. When you praise God in songs, when you praise God in you, which that is your life. I say he's looking out at you to see your life is pleasing to him. Your life is walking in love, not having an animosity against any person. That's what God is saying. Not doing evil to any person. That's what God is saying. When you see your life is is in order with him, in holiness and in righteousness, then your praises are accepted. That's the sacrifice you bring, not goat, not bullock, but your praises. So remember that. So that's why Christ said, don't offer your sacrifice if you remember when you that you have ought against your brother, your brother has ought against you. First, stop that sacrifice and go see the concern. 
reconcile, then they come and offer a sacrifice so that it will be accepted before God. So the same way, when we come before the Lord to praise the Lord, to praise our Lord Jesus Christ, or to praise our Father God through our Lord Jesus Christ, if anything comes to your mind that you're offense with somebody, stop that person, go and call that person and say you are sorry. Forgive, ask him to forgive you. And you are the one asking to forgive the person, forgive the person, alter it to say, I forgive you and reconcile. Then come and offer the sacrifice so that you be accepted with God and then blessing can come down. Now that's the end of chapter 8. We are going to go down to chapter 9. Okay, let's go into chapter 9. Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, is going to tell us some more things. Then, verily, the first covenant, still talking about this covenant of Moses and comparing with the new covenant that we have, had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which are the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that boarded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. But by the time they were writing this, all of those things perhaps were the matter and the women. I don't think they have. I don't think they have it in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because when they were taken away to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar for seventy years, where was the ark? Where was the ark? And all those instruments that were part of the temple. The Bible said Nebuchadnezzar takes some things away, but no mention of the ark, which means it's possible that the priest went and hid the ark. But that seems to be the only representation of the presence of God Almighty among them. But in the days when they have run away from God and found they were worshiping idols, even on the temple, they placed some uh, images of idols. Some priests are still keeping those acts somewhere. So we they didn't know where the we I don't say they didn't know we didn't know where the ark was by the time they went into Babylon. Many people have suggestions, but it's possible those suggestions are possible because there were some people that were working for the king. There was one 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 of the one of the Enochs that was working for the king of Israel. But up to the day that Nebuchadnezzar took them captive, and that Enoch was said to be Enoch from Ethiopia. Enoch from Ethiopia that helped Jeremiah the prophet to get Jeremiah out of the out of the dungeon, and God promised that man that he will not die from the hand of the of uh, in the book of Jeremiah. That God promised that Enoch that he will not die in the, in the hand of uh, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar because he was so scared that if this Nebuchadnezzar took over, they would just slaughter a black man because Ethiopia was all black people. And they have been coming back and forth to Israel to, to do to worship God. And he was actually an Enoch walking with a, walking in the palace of king of the king of uh, King Sedekiah. By the time Jeremiah was prophesying to them that they all to surrender and they didn't want to surrender. But that man, because he feared God and he helped Jeremiah, God promised that he would not be delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so it is possible that when they were now running away. Because the Bible said they ran away when the, the king Zedekiah also ran or fled. We, uh, uh, my, my, my thought of that is that the priests that were trying to escape also perhaps could have taken the ark 
they were going to take it and run away, they most likely will be trying to run towards Ethiopia, where that man was. That man, the eunuch of Ethiopia, he knew the way to Ethiopia. He was the only one balance I, that my that's my own theory, my theory. But some other people thought maybe they have a, a dungeon cell under the temple that they could possibly hide that in under the temple then, like a like a cave under the temple or a, a secret door where they could hide it. Whether there was something like that, it was not mentioned in the Bible that there was any secret door. Of course, in our generation, people have been digging to see whether there are some hiding places under the temple mount where that had to have been. But say, the Ethiopians in their generation said they have the ark. How did they get the ark? So no, nobody, those are all theories in our generation right now. I'm just telling you theories in our generation. God has not revealed to me that this is where it's at. But people thought Ethiopia may be, the, the people in Ethiopia may be right when they say the ark was actually stolen. Some people thought it was stolen from Egypt, from, uh, from Israel by the son of Solomon who was supposed to be the son of Solomon, but was he had through the Queen of Sheba. So all of those things we were not documented for us to see in the Bible. There were more or less people putting theories together that, that Solomon had a son through, through Queen of Sheba that visited him. We know that Queen of Sheba visited Solomon, and we know that the Bible said Solomon gave that woman everything she asked for, so people can put two and two together. Maybe she asked for him. A seed. <laughs> Whether that happened or not, it was theory of people. But now, over the year, they thought Solomon had a son through that woman, and that son coming back after a grow adult, coming back and forth, that they stole the ark. All of those are theories. But the most possible one that I'm postulating is that when they were being taken away to Babylon, the priests that were left and tried to escape could have tried to escape with the ark. If, they are, if there was no place to hide it, like they say, under the temple, in a, in a cave under the temple, or a hiding, a hidden door, if there's no place like that, then they may have to, have to take it and run towards Ethiopia because they were running away, but the Nebuchadnezzar pursued the king. So if the king was being pursued, the priests and the people could run through other direction and then perhaps they pursue them, or God could make them want to pursue them. And they could have taken that to Ethiopia like a... People say it was in Ethiopia. Up to now, they claim that they have it in Ethiopia, but it's an old furniture, if we can call that thing. Old plate, of course, as well. They're still an old, very old, it's talking about thousands of years now. So. so, what we are saying is that that's why this book of Hebrew was saying we couldn't say anything particular about it because by the time I this guy, there was no record that they brought those things back into the temple or so. But they have a temple, they have a veil, they still have a priest in this of all these guys. And the logical guys didn't even try to mention about. Whether there was any anything in that uh, in that uh, behind the veil in the temple that uh, Herod built for them, because Herod was one that finally built another temple in the use of all of these guys. And whether they have the the ark in that temple, we don't know. It's not mentioned. So what we are saying then is, and that's why this people said this this book of people said after describing what was said, said the first this was the first tabernacle that asked all these things he described. He said, and the cherubims and so on, he said, of which we cannot now speak particularly again. We cannot say what it is right now, whether there was anything there in the temple in the time we are writing this. So we cannot speak particularly. That's why I tell you all those stories that the, the people assume it was no more there. By the time of Allogical particular, there was no, no, no messages or anything in that temple or ark. Unless they make a fake one, 
the original word paras was not the one there. Verse 6 said, Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Remember, when the Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Bible said, when he described that it is finished, that the, the veil in the temple, where that veil was there, whether there was anything in the in temple or not, whether there was hack air or not, that veil was representing to the Hebrews that God was behind that veil in the temple. In, on that, in that temple, whether there was the ark or whether there was a mercy seat or all those relics, whether they were there or not, there was still the veil, which is just what human beings already built when they built, they made a veil. But the Bible said the veil was torn into two when Christ was crucified to show that God was everybody, the door is open to everybody to come on in and see God. That's really what that opening the veil or tearing the veil from top to bottom, that's what it symbolized. Uh, when Christ died on the cross and his, his, his spirit left the body, it was symbolized that the veil was broken. That means the door to the Holy of Holies is open to everybody to come on in. Some people say it means God has left. No, God doesn't have to go anywhere. God is everywhere anyway. So now we are now let in. The whole world can come in if you want to. So what you say? The door is open for everybody. So come on in freely and, and behold God. That's really what it also can be depicting to us. Now verse 9 said, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did that sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now remember, underscore that word, eternal redemption. God has, Christ has obtained eternal redemption for us. For those that were accepting, you have eternal redemption, when you are redeemed forever. Well, redeemed forever does not mean you can just go ahead and do whatever you like. Because if you are redeemed and you have, have Christ in you, Holy Spirit is in you, you now live for Him. And your life will show for that you are in Him and He's in you. And that is what is created in us. He's creating a new person in us. We are now a new creature in Christ. We are redeemed forever. It's eternal. Not temporary things. It's eternal. But we live for Him because He's changed the heart in us to become the heart of Christ. So that we can do exactly what he pleases and he's going to be living in us forever because he was say christ when he was praying said i in them and thou father in me that's how we are going to get that glory back christ in us forever so that's why he said he has obtained for us eternal redemption verse 13 of hebrews chapter 9 said for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an ifa sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh that was what they do in their temple or the sprinkling of the blood and they are sanctifying whatever they sprinkle the blood upon. Verse 1 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our soul, applied to our spirit, make us clean before God forever. See, and for this cause, he said that how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, it's a spiritual thing, offered himself without spot in, to God. It purging our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So our conscience is poured from sin, from sinful nature. Verse 15 says, and for this cause, Christ is, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So you are my, you are now called into Christ to receive eternal inheritance in God. Verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now he's going to tell us something about what is called testament. What's the testament? It's a will. When somebody and a rich man is about to is getting old, they say, Well, have you written your will? What's the will? It's a, a, a document that tells how his estate and all that his belongings will be distributed when he dies. This land go to this, my son. This house go to this, my son. This, my son, should get so many much money. So that is called a will before the man passes away. Now, it's also called testament. Basically, that will that people will write before they die, or testament, they call it in, in some other court, Law, court law, uh, law, law uh, court of law. That testament is a is a binding document that it's only taking effect when the man dies. If the man is still alive, they can't begin to distribute all his assets unless he chooses to give it away. See? So that that is what he's talking about here. That that where there is a testament, there must be a necessity of the death of the testator. When the man dies, that's when it takes effect. If he's still alive, it's not it's not taking effect yet. Verse 17, that's why he said, For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Verse 16 says, Whereupon neither the first testament was de dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with the water and scarlet wool and isop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So you see why Christ has to shed his own blood and, and redeem us with his own precious blood. That blood is to remove our sins. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than this. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with arms, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Remember when Christ resurrected and he appeared to Mary Magdalene because there was a majesty, the woman was there with him, and Christ said, Don't touch me yet. I have not ascended to my father. So I ascend to my father and your father, and your my God and your God. So he has to take that blood to the temple, to the temple in heaven, and sprinkle the, the temple with the blood of Jesus Christ for eternal redemption for mankind. 
verse 54, verse 55 says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For them must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, as he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. See, an high priest that went to sacrifice for mankind, and he said, what good to be accepted? He offered himself. He offered himself. God.